welcome back to the Lament Configuration Horror Podcast. I am Reoffend, and today's episode will be part one of Fright Fest Horror and Genre Festival in London 2018 review. And I am joined, as always, by the infamous Greg Knox. Hello, Greg. Hello, we're back, motherfuckers. Back in the cronks. Definitely. Back in Croydon. And also, you can hear over there that I am joined again by Tom Dennett Cook. Hello, Tom. Hello. Hi. <laughs> we, Hi. Are, we are back and we are darker than burnt coal. <laughs> and uh, to kick off the show, um, what did we learn from Fright Fest 2018? Starting with you, Greg. Right. So I had a very, very enlightening experience this year at Fright Fest because I actually learned several things. Uh, not to take too long. Um, first thing I learnt was that trying to do live videos after watching every single film is an impossible task. So that's why, in case you're wondering why there weren't any live videos on YouTube, it's because we kind of, I kind of tried it, and it's fair to say it didn't really work, and it was making me really stressed out. So yeah, apologies. Uh, may try it again, maybe a less stressful situation in the future. Um, on a more fun note. Uh, this year, I learned that drugs are bad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, because I saw 20 films this year in five days, and four of those 20 films actually involved drugs as a pretty major part of the plot. So, yeah, never for the... the but No, never in good terms, let's put it that way. So, yeah, don't do drugs. Definitely don't sell drugs either, because that's also a bad idea. That's a good way to get yourself kicked out of the festival. That's a lot of films. That's a lot of films, yes, indeed. That is a lot of films. Tom, what did you learn from Fright Fest 2018? I didn't see half as many films as you, Greg. You still saw quite a lot, mate. I saw a fair few. Uh, The main thing I learned is don't accept invitations from people you've never met to places you've never been to before. So, <laughs> that, that Lace's Demon, a perfect example. Uh, Greg, when we both watched that, we were both like, so these people are going to a house in an island for, because they got invited by somebody to go there. And that's the premise of quite, quite a lot of horror films. It's like, oh, let's go to this mansion, or let's go to this... You know, it's like, it's basically, in real life, you would never accept an invitation from somebody you've never met before. Yeah, and it, of course it is badly. <laughs> and also, on a similar note, it, don't go to houses in the middle of nowhere, particularly if you own them. So again, in about five of these films, there's a cabin or a house in the middle of the woods or in the middle of nowhere where there's no one around. Because again, it never ends well. I think if you own the cabin, fine. But if it's like <laughs> my uncle owned this cabin, did you ever meet your uncle? Not really. Yeah, don't go to that cabin. You know nothing about the location. Basically, in a nutshell, let me put it to start again. Don't go to a location that you're not familiar with. Because <laughs> it's going to end badly. Definitely. One of the main tropes of horror and lesson well learned by Tom there. Mm-hmm. Do not go to places you've been invited to that you do not know of. Yes, unfamiliar, sorry. <laughs> doom. That spells doom. What have I learned from Fright Fest 2018? Well, this is my first full weekend or week at the festival um it was awesome fantastic vibe fantastic community i've also learned that one of the directors of fright fest grumpy scottish ian rattray does look rather good in a wig but more about that later <laughs> uh, kicking off with the order of events so opening night was thursday night um and i think we'll, we'll go in order of the films so uh one of us is about to review the ranger which was the female directed opener of the festival i will add as well that we did have a surprise opening night hosts um alice lowe and steve oram who i love and they were fantastic um 
So the Ranger. Yeah, so I'm going to be reviewing this one. So this was, as Rhea said, so this is the opening film of the festival. It's directed by Jen Wexler. I believe this is her debut film. Um, stars Chloe Levine, who is in a film called The Transfiguration, which I really liked, which came out last year. And um, basically, this is sort of a slasher film. It's got a very heavy punk vibe. Um, so the story of this one is, as I mentioned, uh, there's a drug deal. Drug deal goes wrong. Um, this group of punks need to get away. Uh, Chloe Levine's character luckily has a cabin in the middle of the forest somewhere. Um, they all go there. They're dicks, so they basically fuck shit up in the forest. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a, well, a ranger, believe it or not, as the title suggests. <laughs> and um, yeah, things tend to go from there, as you would expect. Excellent. Um, this is one that I do really want to see, as I didn't get to see it on opening night, so hopefully soon. Um, it sounds like a decent horror film. I heard some good reviews of the film. I like how um, <sighs> the opening thing of what you're talking about, like, things we've learned, and this ticked two of those things. Yeah. yeah. Drugs and places you're not familiar with in the woods. Yeah, in desolate locations. Yeah. <laughs> so, basically, you're jumping in the deep end already, yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't really like this film very much, so... <laughs> This is one of those films where you have a group of characters who, bar one, are really, really obnoxious. Now, I've had this debate before, so I'm going to do this one again for all the people <laughs> who've never heard this one before. It's all well and good. You can have one or two characters that are really obnoxious that the audience doesn't like and are happy to see die. That's fine, because there are all sorts of other characters there who are really likeable. However, if the majority of the characters that you're having to spend 45 minutes or longer with are really fucking annoying, then it's just, I don't resent the characters, I resent the people who wrote the film to make the characters that way. It's as simple as that. So I was just really annoyed for the first kind of half of this film. Um, So to me, um, and obviously because it's a punk horror film, first thing you're going to think of is probably Green Room which yeah. is a much better movie than this, I should say, because the characters in that film are at least likeable. They're actually even more believable as punks as well. Mm. The punks in this were just kind of almost posery. They're just kind of people who dress a certain way and just act like twats. That's yeah. not punk to me. If I could interject. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> okay, so I have a bit of an issue with cinema punks anyway. <laughs> and by that I mean, like, the punks in things like Robocop 3 or or the punks in Terminator the punks in uh, Class of Newcomb High the punks are always presented in cinema as being super badasses mm-hmm. um, in real life I know a lot of punks they're the nicest people in the world but exactly. cinema likes to present punks as if they're all criminals and they're all assholes and you know you know was that the case with this one, though? Because it was actually produced by uh, a real out-and-out punk. She said that in the interview, yeah. we really wanted to represent the scene. I'm like, well, this, you present mm-hmm. the scene as everyone's, as you say, great, everyone's kind of an asshole, mm-hmm. um, apart from the main main person. Um, you know, yeah. you would have thought that perhaps, yeah, as you say, Rhea, you would have thought that maybe the director would be a little bit more mm-hmm. sympathetic, um, but... It's just, just very disrespectful, really. Yeah. That was the thing. They were just total arseholes the whole time. So, like, you know, they went go to this person's house and they trashed the place. They're just, yeah, just dicks. And they, just, present, yeah. they present punks in this as punks are kind of bullies, when actually, in real life, most punks I know were bullied. Yeah. You know, the, mm. the actual dicks. I mean, maybe in the 70s, punks were kind of edgy, but punks now are sort of just... It's an aesthetic. And in the film... Yes, yes, they show the punk scene, but 
it doesn't add anything to the story. The fact that they are punks, they mm. could be anybody, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the film is, is a bit of a missed opportunity mm-hmm. um, because it's actually a really good idea for a film. Yeah. And once the, as the second half, when they're actually at the cabin and you meet the ranger, the, mm. the guy who plays the ranger is intimidating. Yeah. But in a nice guy kind of way. He's like yeah. a man mounting. He's he, he built like a wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> you know when you see their hands and like each yeah. finger's like a sausage, you know, like giant <laughs> style hands. Um, and, and he's quite sinister and then once the, you know, people start dying off, you know, it does become that old school slasher feel. Yeah. Um, the film, the reason why I say it's a missed opportunity is because it's only 77 minutes and once it kicks off, it ends and that's oh. kind of the sad, sad part. So, yeah. not, uh, I wouldn't say it was an awful film. I have no. to say, I do have a problem with the unlikable punks. Mm. Um, I get what you're saying. They need to be unlikable people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you should have focused more on the ranger yeah. and more on that element for me. Yeah, yeah I mean... Maybe the punk vibe doesn't work in there, but I think that was partially their angle to like get mm-hmm. the, the audience that they wanted. Um, like I say, I can't really comment because I haven't seen the whole film, but I did see some of Jeremy Holmes' performance as the Ranger, and he did look really intimidating, creepy as fuck in this kind of nice guy, but really creepy undertones. Definitely started the show. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. So I think in terms of that, I'm excited to see his performance. Mm-hmm. I think it's really great that they've opened the festival with a female directed film because that really doesn't happen elsewhere and um, I think it's a great uh, debut for Jen Wexler. I had a bit of a spicy hot take about that actually. Spicy hot take? What? Okay so okay I have nothing against female directors in fact uh, the next film I'm going to talk about in great detail was also directed by a woman and it was really good. Mm -hmm. Um, Tom's seen the movie so he's maybe better qualified possibly than Maria to comment on this, but if this movie was directed by John Wexler instead of <laughs> Jen Wexler, and the film was literally exactly the same, no mm-hmm. better, no worse, would it be the opening film of Fright Fest? Well, I mean, I haven't brought up personally the fact that it's a female directed film because it doesn't feel it doesn't, like a female well, directed film, does it? It doesn't affect the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's not like it's coming all all guns blazing, being a feminist manifesto. It's it's a nice little it's a nice little slasher film or an okay little slasher film, um, and it's almost irrelevant who's directed it, whether it be John or Jen. <laughs> you know? um, there are other films, and as we as we talk, there's other films that perhaps are better ambassadors for that. Mm. This to me, it didn't it didn't make a difference one way or the other, you know. Okay, so decent, but you guys are not massively sold on it. It was eighties night, so that definitely fits that vibe. It definitely had it definitely had a feel, an eighties feel, particularly like the little poster for it is very that's yeah old school VHS slasher territory. Yeah, yeah, definitely love that aesthetic. So uh, moving on to Tom, your review of Summer of eighty four, which does look awesome, and I can't wait to see this. It totally has that Stranger Things vibe from the yeah. poster. I've heard great things about it. I heard people in the lobby saying how much they loved it afterwards. Uh, tell us about Summer of eighty four. It definitely was the, the the best film for me of the the opening night. Uh, the three films to me was by far the best. Mm-hmm. Um, going into it, I didn't think I was going to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I'm glad that I was wrong. It's good to be wrong mm-hmm. when, when, when it's a good film. Uh, I thought I, was, I wasn't going to like, I've never seen stranger things. So perhaps I didn't have that to bounce off. Mm-hmm. I know some people said, Oh, I didn't like it cause it was like stranger things. Well, I didn't come with it with 
an axe to grind, so I just watched it as a film. What I thought I wouldn't like is that the the group of kids, mm-hmm. so it's a group of kids who suspect that their neighbour is a serial killer. <laughs> so it's a bit like the birds in that sense of people just being bored and, and looking, at, you know, peeking behind their curtains to, at the neighbours. I thought I wouldn't like the kids because there's very stereotypical kids. A lot of these 80s films have like, there'll be like a smart kid, mm-hmm. a fat kid, a cool kid and a regular kid. And this literally <laughs> is paint by numbers. You're like, oh, okay, so they've got the fat kid, the smart kid, you know. But the kids are really um, likeable. sympathetic, yeah. likeable and good child actors. So, um, you know, when It came out, as in mm-hmm. like the new It, mm-hmm. the main thing people said about that was the child actors were amazing. The child actors in this are amazing. Great. Um, another like Stranger Things as well. Very, yeah. So if that's what people got from Stranger Things, then I would say if you like Stranger Things, then yeah, watch this. Mm. Um, that whole Stand By Me scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The Burbs Meet Stand By Me is, mm-hmm. is a good way to... I know it's kind of... You know, weather. <laughs> but that's that, that's an easy way of describing this. Um, the uh, the next door neighbour, I, I won't necessarily spoil it, but he also has a range of eye. Nice yeah. guy who's built like a mountain, but that makes him sinister. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I thought, um, yeah, good actors. Um, if you're going for that 80s film for the opening night, it, it definitely did it. And uh, yeah, the director was great as well. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So this is directed by the same guys who did Turbo Kid, which I haven't actually seen, mm-hmm. but I do really want to. Oh, I've Absolutely. seen that. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, so I'll be checking Turbo Kid out. Um, I like the score. It's got that kind of 80s electro style score. Actually, yeah, yeah. Very Again, good music. Again, the same with Turbo Kid, so they obviously, that's their niche. Yeah, this is sort of uh, what I liked about this is the plot was very streamlined, so it's very rear window essentially. I haven't seen the burbs, but to me, I got very strong rear window vibes. So where it's like you've got a character who thinks his neighbour is a killer, Mm -hmm. and then yeah, if you've seen rear window, you kind of know where this is going. Um, Yeah, I really liked it. I found the kids really likable. I thought it was funny that one of them looked as if it was a guy in his forties pretending to be a kid. Uh, (laughs) You know, that that taps into the eighties as well because you always got like um, you know Beverly Hills vibe where they're they're in their twenties or something playing a fourteen year old. Yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought, I mean, if I was being a bit critical, I thought it was maybe a little bit too long. I think they could have probably used to trim maybe ten or fifteen minutes off of it, Mm -hmm. and uh, and yeah without giving too much away it does kind of have a bit of a different ending from what I was expecting as well mm-hmm. it was uh, yeah um, again I can't really go into too much detail I'll spoil it but yeah I um, yeah, I really enjoyed this one I definitely enjoyed it more than The Ranger mm-hmm. awesome so that brings us to the third and final closing film of the Thursday night which I watched which was Mega Time Squad directed by Tim Van Dammen who came all the way from New Zealand um, to introduce the film, um, he was involved and was in Deathgasm, which is an awesome film which I love. Now this isn't a horror film. Again, it, it is you know part of the festival. As it's a genre film. It's more of an action adventure comedy, and it is absolutely hilarious and non-stop action. It's eighty-one minutes long and it does not let up. And basically, the premise is um, that it's a heist of a small town criminal who discovers an ancient Chinese um, time travel component, and he kind of it's a bit of a take on Looper, um, where he kind of tries to pull off this heist using the uh, time travel device and then hilarity ensues. There's a bit of a love story in there as well as he falls in love with the girl which is really 
a nice aspect of it. It's very heartwarming. It's quite moralistic as well, but it is really, really funny. And as the film goes on, the time jumping sequences get more and more elaborate. It's also done in this um, kind of... Uh, the like the local lingo and colloquial style of of this town in New Zealand that it was set in, um, which is is quite funny in the way that it's uh, scripted and the way that they talk. Um, so quite specific to the area, which is fun. Um, and Tim Van Damen did say in his intro that he was just thinking if um, they wrote a film. And put out a film in the way that they normally speak, which not a lot of people hear like every day. Um, would it be possible and would people get it and understand mm-hmm. it? And I think um, the sense of humour in New Zealand is quite similar to British it's sense of humour. quite dry. Yeah, quite yeah. dry. So it really works. Like it was really well received and it was quite a nice light end to the Thursday night. Like not too intense, quite a good late night movie. Um, so yeah, I thought this was really excellent and well worth watching and look forward to what, um, Tim comes up with next time. Yeah. Well, I mean, me and Tom, I mean, we saw it together and I mean, we're kind of, our views are somewhat tainted by the fact it was the middle of the fucking night when we saw it. (laughs) Yeah, I was tired. (laughs) Yeah. I I enjoyed it in that sort of, because I have a very dry sense of humor as well. So like the New Zealand sense of humour does appeal to me a lot, especially because mm. most of the characters in the film are idiots. And I, yeah. one of my guilty pleasures <laughs> is films like Burn After Reading by the Coens is a massive <laughs> guilty pleasure of mine because most of the characters in it are idiots, but they don't know they're idiots. Yeah. So yeah, it's great. got that Coen Brothers thing about it. Um, it's, you know, I'm not a massive fan of Taika Waititi, so I didn't like sort of what we do in the shadows that much, for example. Oh, I love that. You see, um, my street. <laughs> more early Peter Jackson. So again, that sort of very dry sort of New Zealand sense of humour. Um, I liked the film. I thought it was fun. Um, me and Tom sort of had the same opinion about the time travel aspects. They seem to make quite a big thing about it in the first 30 minutes or so, a la like Time Crimes, if anyone's seen that, mm. which is a Spanish film, which is really good, um, where you've got multiple versions of the same character. Mm. And then after a while, they just kind of ignored that, and it's just like there's lots of different versions of the same character, and we're not interested in the time travel aspect so much. It just gets a bit chaotic, which I thought was really fun. And I do like the fact that they're kind of <laughs> imbeciles <laughs> in the story, which does make it a whole lot funnier. And if you do like the humour in um, what we do in the shadows, like the Concords, etc., it is quite similar in that sense. Like Not entirely the same, but you, you can detect similarities in the humour, which I enjoyed. I think, yeah, basically, yeah, I think you hit it on the head quite nicely. I don't even know if I can add anything. Um, the... Um, I, I did enjoy it, um, at the time obviously, because it's the closing film, uh, a bit tired, but what I would say <laughs> is, I'm a big fan of, like, like you, you guys have basically said it, big fan of New Zealand humour, <laughs> New Zealand humour is very similar to British humour, <laughs> I think New Zealand is to Australia what Britain is to America, we know we're, we're kind of that second place, our films have a smaller budget, but we kind of embrace that, and that's why the humour is quite dry, yeah. and that's why it's quite self-deprecating, mm-hmm. and it's almost a celebration of the things that are a bit crap. So in this film, the gangsters <laughs> are just like some bloke, and they have like one guy. Oh, he was awesome them. though, and um, and he, yeah, he's just like somebody's dad. That's what <laughs> he looks like, and and I love that. And it had a sort of 
you know, in, in a British heist film, something like Lockstock or Snatch, you have those idiots yeah. pulling off a heist, mm-hmm. and and you kind of cheer them on because they're idiots. <laughs> and and like I said, that New Zealand humour is similar to the British humour. It's very good. Um, it, you kind of already said it, Greg, but for me, the, the only downside to the film is it's a, it's a film with two halves. The first half is all about time travel, and then the second half is this love story. But it's almost like it, it's forgotten that yeah. it's a time travel film. It kind of drops the time travel element and focuses on the love story. That being said, it's not a big deal. Um, but you just wonder why you drop that, you know. My, I was going to say through. I was going to say my favourite bit of the film by far is pedo shoes. Oh gosh, <laughs> that was awesome. Could not stop laughing about that. Well, I just love it when so they're simple but brilliant. My favourite moment is when they're they're in the uh, you know the gangster. It's called the gangster, the gangster's house, and they're kind of like moving around like ninjas, trying not to be seen. And then the guys just watching them on the CCTV camera going, "What are these idiots doing? What are these idiots <laughs> doing?" Um, like they're just watching like go down there and kill them. You know, they're rude and um, <laughs> fucking brilliant. Um, and as you said, the the local. Like the policeman as well, he was awesome. Yeah, the policeman, and that kind of, yeah, when you really feel like, this felt like a New Zealand film as opposed to an international film. I I loved it for that. Yeah. Um, I thought that the effects were fantastic at duplicating the guy, his acting was on point, Um, it must have been really fun making this. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I do like a good uh, returning joke like throughout the film and there was that like in several different running jokes that were just guy always getting there. shot in the eye yeah the, the gun that kept backfiring <laughs> yes. which was just never got old did it it was just and that kind of fun. that lacklustre lack response when it happens like oh, for fuck's sake you know <laughs> again a bit like in Lockstock when he's like oh I, can't, I don't believe this can even stop getting shot you know that bit oh, in Lockstock I, like I like those sort of people being underwhelmed yeah. by quite <laughs> overwhelming situations yeah I think it's interesting you bring up Lockstock actually because that uh, the only thing I would say is that in Lockstock there is sort of the contrast of characters. So you've yeah. got the idiots, but you also have like the Vinnie oh, Jones have, character yeah, who's the, the proper psychopath. The, yeah, you have the brains of the operation. Yeah. As well, whereas this was all idiots. The, this isn't really like it's quite irreverent in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, I mean maybe this is just me being picky as fuck, typical. But um, yeah, if, if I was to say okay, you could have done this to maybe take it to the next level if you had a character who actually was legitimately quite, quite scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some stakes in there, maybe, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think they wanted to keep it quite light. Um, yeah, but it, they also had the wise Chinese prophet in there, which is part of your thing that you always say. Yeah, the, the prophets of doing... The, yeah, that, that, that old Chinese guy in the shop is just brilliant. hilarious. He was so <laughs> great. I loved that. I loved it. So, yeah, it's a, it's a glowing review from me anyway. Uh, but yeah, so Thursday night was great. Obviously, it's a lot shorter than the other days, so less um, films. Didn't get home until three in the morning. <laughs> Hated myself so much. What's the problem with living in the in the crumbs. In the crumbs. In the crumbs. Don't the diss out, the crumbs. The outskirts. <laughs> um, I, I would say, in terms of an overview of the first day, mm-hmm. um, I would have probably have enjoyed Mega Time Squad more if it was before Summer of '84. I, I think Summer of '84 was the best film out of the three, and that mm-hmm. should have been the headline. Yeah, and Mega Times should have been second. You know, okay. I think they do it like European festival style. Though I think they put the headliner just before the last band. So the last band 
yeah. if you have been to a festival you're, you're going home, yeah, yeah, yeah they do tend like, generally put a, a, a band on like near the end where people you know if you want to stay up great but you can just go home now and also like I said Mega Times God feels like a good late night because it's that bit lighter you know I think Summer of 84 should have been the opening film myself oh okay um, so Friday um we did, we covered quite a lot with this, so we've got like five or six films that we all saw that we're going to cover. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I will start with an absolute gem, which, um, to be fair, I don't know what I was expecting when I watched it. I did like the title. It's The Cleaning Lady, directed by John, I'm not sure how you pronounce his surname, Knauk. Glass Tom. Uh, what do you think, Tom? <laughs> Your pronunciations are on point. Yeah. Knauks? Yeah, I'm going to go with... John Knauts. Or do you um, pronounce the K? No. You know what? John Knauts. John. John's movie. John. 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 I love that guy movie. directed Bubba's yeah. Chili Parlor. John, I love your movie. Um, also, uh, his um, partner stars in the film and wrote the film, Alexis Kendra, who was there to do the introduction. She's absolutely stunning in real life and she's fantastic in the film. Um, this film is a thriller mainly thriller and horror. Um, It's about a love addict who is involved in an affair. Um, She's seen a married man and as a distraction she kind of befriends um, the cleaning lady that she's hired who is badly burned but she's not sure why and she starts to find out and this cleaning lady is um, very kind of creepy. Um, And yeah, it's, it's a really inventive... Um, awesome film, really enjoyed it really dark, really creepy would highly recommend it again as I said I thought Alexis um, and the cleaning, the actual cleaning lady the heavily scarred um, misdemeanour wrongdoer of the film mm-hmm. their performances were absolutely fantastic the cleaning lady's name is Shelley she's played by Rachel Alig. And yeah, it was just fucking awesome. Just lots of dark twists, lots of unexpected um, parts of the film. There's like a heavy backstory that, that is revealed throughout about the cleaning lady Shelley's background and how she became to be that badly burned. And yeah, she's just mentally, she's, she's you know, off balance, let's say. So is that it... starts to reveal itself more throughout the film. I thought it was awesome. The only problem that I had when I was watching it is that there was a fly on the projector, which was quite distracting. <laughs> it's happened to I me think before. that happened a couple of times, yeah, actually. During before, climax, I is, swear there was. Maybe it's the same shame. fly. I don't know. <laughs> which is a real shame, but this fly was very keen on the film. It was having a fucking party across he the street. He was having a great time. He was having a great time, which was slightly distracting, but nonetheless, fucking amazing film. Would highly recommend it. It's just one of these. Uh, unknown little gems as, that will obviously gain more um, exposure and momentum as more people see it. I have to ask, is it played straight? Because I almost saw this film based on like the title and the post. Mm. I was like, cleaning lady, is that going to be a bit tongue-in-cheek or is it done straight? It's played straight and I mm-hmm. did wonder by the title what, what I'm allowed to say. Yeah, and I, I can't remember what uh, Alexis said in the intro, but it had a completely different name before, which had really no relevance to the film. Mm-hmm. And then they came up with the cleaning lady, which is obviously, it is, it, it says what it is yeah, on the tip, suppose, you know? yeah. it's just really straightforward it's about a fucked up dark cleaning lady with <laughs> with, with a history that we, we want to know you know why is she so badly scarred why is she so heavily burned 
and why is she so quiet and you know it's one of those where it's always the quiet ones mm. yeah more starts to happen but yeah it is played really straight and it, it is you know in a nutshell it is it's a thriller it is exactly that so it's like a psychological thriller then yes absolutely and as you can imagine because um she's involved with a married man and they're having an affair a lot of it is about relationships and previous relationships and yeah i'm not going to spoil it as regards shelly the cleaning lady um but she's got a very dark past which is very interesting so yeah i loved it and i, I love a straight horror and i think it's difficult to do something with a title like that without the humor element I quite, there's, there's a couple of films at this festival this year um that have that those kind of ex- exploitation grabbing titles, but then mm. they played them serious. Yeah, <laughs> and I really like that. I love it because yeah. all too often it's it's very easy to just go, oh, we'll make it a comedy because that mm. way at least people are laughing with us and not at us. Mm. Um, but I like it if someone's got the balls to actually make go. No, we're gonna do, we're gonna play this straight. So yeah. good for them. Yeah, and I can see um, this couple coming up with some excellent films in the future. So I think they work really well together. Yeah. So this director, he's done Jack Brooks' Monster Slayer, The Shrine, and Goddess of Love. Um, yeah. Shrine is on Shudder. It's got quite an interesting poster. So mm. quite curious to to see that one. And I believe Goddess of Love screened at Fright Fest before as well. So that's, they mentioned it in the in the intro. That's not one that I've seen, but yeah, I would be keen to see more of their work. Um, and Greg, you yes. saw Braid, which I did not see, but it has been recommended to me. By me, yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Braid is another female-directed film. Um, so this is directed by Mitzi Perone, who, uh, she was not there in person, but she did a sort of recorded intro to the film. And my heart sank because it's actually one of the most pretentious things I've ever seen in my life in terms oh, of sort no. of director sort of intro for oh, a film. She talked about the film being like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but something like, it's a psychological journey. And yeah, it was all very, very airy fairy. And I'm like, mm, okay, not going to be looking forward to this now then. But no, I was surprised it was really good. So guess what, guys? It's about another drug deal that goes wrong. More drugs. More drugs. Yeah, so definitely don't try and buy drugs or even sell drugs. Um, So they do that. So it's these two women and they go to their friend's house who lives on their own in a really, really big house and they have a safe with lots of money in it and they want to try and get at this safe and get into it. Um, But very, very weird twist is their friend is completely batshit mental and when they were children, they used to play this role-playing game with three rules in it. It says, everyone must play, no outsiders, and nobody leaves. <laughs> so they're playing this really weird, weird game like <laughs> that they have to play for 48 hours, and then all kinds of really odd shit happens. You have to play for how long? 48 hours. Wow. And you've got some standard sort of genre elements in there. So there's a policeman who's sort of on the trail trying to catch them and things like that. But mostly this is a very odd film. And, you know, in our interview that we did with Paul McAvoy, which if you've not heard, please listen to it because it was really good. Mm -hmm. And yes. And in that I mentioned I like weird shit. So this is kind of right up my alley. So... This has got very mixed reviews from Fright Fest, which doesn't surprise me because mm. there are people like me who kind of like experimenting and like, like, weird shit, like my weird shit. And there are people <laughs> who like all their horror films to be in a box. Mm-hmm. And to those people, they are missing out big time. Um, this is sort of more similar to something like Daisies, 
which is uh, by Vera Chislova, or something called uh, Celine and Julie Go Boating by Jacques Rivette, which is a French New Wave director. So it's kind of about these girls and it's more about their relationships to each other and it's all very weird and very heavily stylized. Um, so this definitely was, in comparison to Ranger, a very female-feeling movie. So I think if a man had directed this, unless it was someone like David Lynch, it would probably have been very, a lot more straight, so it would have been a lot more about the policeman being on their trail and stuff. But instead what you've got is you've got a lot of very dreamlike sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some very, very cool drug trip sequences uh, where the camera was doing lots of interesting things. So the camera was moving, it was tilting, going upside down. Um, there was a lot of use of sort of reverse shots, um, Something, a lot of close-ups, similar to sort of what Dario Argento does in his films. Um, so I really like that. Um, yeah, lots of interesting use of lighting in the film. So there's pink lighting and sort of this sort of green lighting that looked really cool. And the production design of the really, really big house was really awesome. It kind of reminded me of, again, I, I do use this comparison quite a lot, is like Wes Anderson-esque, where you can tell like everything in the house has specifically been put there for a reason. Mm-hmm. So really, really awesome. Um, I mean, in terms of the plot, I mean, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but not every film has to be logical and make sense because there are people out there who, when they watch a film, they only watch it for the plot. Mm-hmm. And... This is one of those films where if you're gonna be like that, you're not gonna really you're enjoy not this. A good time. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, so this is more of like um, it's more of this is gonna sound so fucking pretentious. I'm gonna sound like oh, the director. It it's more like an experience than like sort of a sort of mm-hmm. you know free act structure type film. Um, it was some really I'd say visually this film is absolutely awesome Um, the only thing I would say maybe against it is the film had about three different endings Mm -hmm. so I thought the film was going to end and then it kept going and I thought it was going to end again and it still kept going (laughs) and there's a twist of sorts that I didn't really feel was very necessary at the end Mm -hmm. Um, even though the film's not really that long it was paced in a very weird way where it kind of was really good for like the first two thirds and then the last third, the pacing just sagged to shit, basically, unfortunately. But overall, really enjoyed it. If you like sort of interesting sort of experimental movies, particularly because the big thing, even though I did sort of slag off the Ranger a bit, um, but the big thing is sort of we do want more different voices, different perspectives. Or you know, in horror, because mm-hmm. horror is sort of the most open genre in terms of sort of representation. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'd be very, very interested to see what the director did does next. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys watch it too, so I can talk to you about it in more detail. I think like what you said, like if it was directed by a man, it, they would have done it. Oh, differently. it'd be totally so, different. So you know, in a way, as you say, it's kind of the opposite of Ranger, where the fact it's a female directed did make a difference. Yeah. You know, and you got to see a different take that perhaps you wouldn't have seen. Um, Sounds like mostly due to the style. Yeah, so that's quite that's quite cool. So I guess you know. Yeah, I like that. That sounds great, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very atmospheric. And yeah, it's kind of, in a way, like I've read online that like this director, they're comparing her to like Mickey Keating or Osgood Perkins. Now, Osgood Perkins is someone who I really like. And yeah, I would kind of agree sort of there's a slight similarity in like his films because something like Black Coat's Daughter where it's very kind of atmospheric and it's very stylish. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of in that vein. Uh, But yeah, 
I really recommend this one. So, yeah, if you are not a small-minded motherfucker, please check this out. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then we have um, one of the most, one of my most anticipated films of Fright Fest this year. I was looking forward to this the most. Um, after Fangoria's relaunch, they have now released and been involved with the new Puppet Master film, which was written by one of my favourite directors, which is Craig Zala. Now, I saw this, and also, Tom, you saw this. Yeah, I feel I feel like I should have gone before Braid. Um, <laughs> I am now going to talk about Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. <laughs> uh, but I'm not ashamed to say that I was also really anticipating this, more so than many of the other films. Yeah. You know, um, obviously it has a built-in audience. Mm-hmm. Puppet Master's been around for long enough that it has that built-in audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It's like I was saying earlier about films that have an exploitation title, but they play it straight. Yeah. This, this, and they said this in the introduction. They went, this, this is playing it straight. Mm. We're going to do Puppet Master as a legit horror film. Yeah. A lot of the franchise, it's very tongue in cheek. And this, I mean, that's not to say this is without, this has its humour. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's not nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's, we're going to do it. We're going to try and present this and, and scare you. Um, <laughs> it's, um, as you say, it's, it's the Fangoria relaunch. And it's, um, I was very interested about that, and we'll probably talk about this a bit later on, about how Fangoria is now going to be producing films, and Den of Geek is now going to be producing films, and Fright Fest presents. Um, so yeah. that's an interesting take, that's an in- interesting industry shift. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the film itself, uh, it was a great introduction, because they said, this is a sort of reimagining of Puppet Master. So it's not Puppet Master part, whatever. <laughs> it's, we are, we are going to start a franchise from scratch, yeah. but the original franchise will continue simultaneously. So it's like two universes, oh. and they both coexist, and the creator of the original Puppet Master has given it his blessing. So this is not a, you know, Puppet Master versus Puppet Master. You know, you have to pick a side. You can yeah. enjoy both. Mm-hmm. Um, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It's gory as fuck. So gory. <laughs> it's I would so definitely gory. Say the goriest death of the festival. Um, yeah, it the- has it has by far the most fucked up death. And yeah. and I consider myself a horror aficionado. I've seen my fair share of death. Nothing shocks me. This film shocked me. Yeah, the death, me. and I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, but I'm um, the one you're talking about. It is. It's not an exaggeration. And you, if they set it up, you know what's going to happen as yes. soon as you see the victim. Um, <laughs> and you're like, okay. But even then, they shock you. Yeah. Because the way they deliver it. Anyway. Yeah. So it's basically... So the the, um, the premise of the film is kind of straightforward. A bloke has to move back home due to, I, I believe, a divorce. Um, he runs a comic book shop. He finds a doll, a puppet, if you will, <laughs> um, in, his, uh, in his brother's room. His brother... Had, committed suicide he died earlier um, I think he committed suicide well his brother's dead that's the important thing <laughs> and he takes his doll to um, uh, basically a, an auction because the way they play this puppet master is that um, the puppet master murders are quite infamous and there's a weird you know like how people are obsessed with Charles Manson or maybe obsessed with the Nazis you know weirdos <laughs> like you um, yeah yeah there's, there's, there's a sort of, like, fan base for the original Puppet Master murders. Mm. So um, these are the murders in the first film, I take it. Not in the first film. Like I said, this is a separate universe. All right, okay. The film starts off with Udo Kier as the original oh, Puppet Master. Udo. Love he's it. What awesome, casting that is. he's not in it enough. He's, he's barely so in it. That's, awesome. the only, no. that's the only downside. Fuck is that he's barely in it. But he is the Puppet Master too, too long. Um, yeah. And it's... So it starts off with, like, a little mini-sequence about him... 
and he, you know, he creates these puppets. And then the opening credit is beautifully well done. It's like these the images, and basically they tell you the story too long very it's quickly. Like, it opens like a graphic novel, but yeah, it's like all comic, yeah. red, white, and black, which is like in keeping with Fangoria and that sort of horror and Nazi. Yeah, it had a kind of like Sin City opening thing yeah, to it. That was very it's cool. It's really great, isn't it? The artwork is fucking awesome. I, I loved Barbara Crampton in this. She's yeah, fantastic. Barbara Crampton was at the um, the, th- the introduction and did a great mm-hmm. job introducing it and explaining. The direction that Fangor is going in and the direction the film's going in. Yeah. Um, the Again, film... She's got a built in audience yeah. she's such a, a fan favourite in horror and such a big name in horror. And the film the film's genuinely a well put together. Like I said, mm-hmm. they decided to play it straight. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's much easier to play it for laughs, because yeah. then the audience is laughing with you and not at you. So they took <laughs> a big risk and it definitely paid off. It was it was a I mean I only saw two films that day, but it was the best film I saw of that day. And even if I saw more, this would still be at the height. Um, they, you can tell it's it's a low budget film because the puppets aren't done stop motion. They're kind of clearly oh. it's somebody off screen holding a puppet up. I like the but, stop motion puppets, <laughs> but they, they play it really well. They 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 go they go with the Nazi thing quite a bit. There's a fair amount of swastikas, um, but I do like I do like how they play with the whole. This auction is all to do with people who are obsessed with real life murders. Yeah. So it's kind of like. You know, we're sitting there as horror audiences watching people who are themselves fascinated by death. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, very, it was very cool. It was um, a, a loving a loving tribute to the original, and it's great that they're redoing it. I know a couple of years earlier, or maybe it was last year, you had the, the new Child's Play film. Yeah, mm-hmm. then so we saw. Uh, I think the last two Child's Plays have done a similar thing where they're like, we're going we're gonna to go back to making this serious. We're almost resetting, resetting things. And... Um, you know, if they, if they keep this pup, new Puppet Master going, mm-hmm. I'd be very interested to watch the next Puppet Master. They were saying in the introduction, um, Fangoria, I don't think they're called Fangoria Studios, but Fangoria is going to do a remake of Castle Freaks. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, I saw um, that. Stuart Gordon, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so I'd be very interested to see, based on the success of this, and it was a success, it was the best film, you know, good luck to them moving forward. <laughs> Yeah, excellent. So we did watch a few more films. So honourable mention from me on the Fright Fest documentary, which is Fright Fest Beneath the Dark Heart of Cinema, uh, directed by Chris Collier, um, which is a, if you are a fan of Fright Fest, the festival, um, it's a great insight into the history of it. There are some inner politics that were kind of exposed in this documentary um, which the four founders didn't have control over what, you know, got made the final cut. So there's a bit of dirt dished in this, which is interesting. Ooh, most definitely. There's I an agree. interesting dynamic going on with um, four very passionate um, film festival directors who all have differing opinions and clashes, naturally, as uh, any passionate directors would do. Um, it, yeah, it's pretty much uncensored... The, it's a great fan or general industry insight. Um, there's a lot of history in there. And Fright Fest, in general, as a film festival, has made a lot of people happy, brought a lot of people together. I believe there have been marriages, kids, and God knows what else born Deaths. out of this festival. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, well, definitely in the uh, overarching mm. theme of the festival, I guess. But, um, yeah, there's there's also been a lot of uh, amazing films discovered 
due to Fright Fest, such as Donnie Darko and a lot of really terrible films that have yeah. been joked about. <laughs> they were very, very honest about it. They um, were, yeah. yeah so, what did you think, Greg? Well, um, I thought it was interesting. So it definitely isn't biased. Um, so it's a little bits of it kind of thought was slightly propagandary near the beginning. It's like Fright Fest is great. Fright Fest is awesome. Fright Fest brings people together. And I'm just like, bleh. Wanting to be sick during those bits. <laughs> but um, it's true, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I liked how the the people who at, were actual fans, so they weren't people who were in the industry pretending to be fans, they came across very well. Mm-hmm. And of the four organisers, they weren't actually in it as much as I thought they were. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, from a short, short little uh, description of them, so you've got Alan Jones, who's the bitchy one. Uh, <laughs> Paul McAvoy, who's the drunk one. Uh, Ian Rattray, who's the grumpy one. Mm-hmm. And then oh, yeah. Greg Day, okay. who's sort of like the most level-headed one. So I think Greg Day kind of came across the most rational and sensible of yeah. all of them. My favourite was definitely Ian Rattray, because he does have that very kind of dry Scottish sense of humour. <laughs> it's so dry it's ridiculous but yeah I, I came out of it liking him a lot um, yeah I thought it was very interesting obviously they'd mentioned certain things like oh you know Christopher Nolan's been there and Del Toro like he wanted to premiere Pan's Labyrinth at the festival instead of at LFF um, but they were quite honest as well so they talked about Tulpa which I wish I'd been there because it sounds <laughs> fucking hilarious and like uh, Jallo the film by Dario mm-hmm. Argento which was shit uh, didn't mention Shockwave Darkside 3D, but never mind. Rob gets a mention. He does. And they yeah. did Human Centipede and Serbian film. And yeah, it was, you know, I say, I mean, overall, I mean, for people who are fans of Fright Fest who are listening to this podcast, if it does ever come out, which I hope it does, by the way, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, I would recommend it. I think if you've never been to Fright Fest before, I'm not exactly sure this would sell you on it because it is a little bit kind of inside baseball if you know what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, overall, I did enjoy it. I mean, documentaries at Fright Fest are normally quite good, as we're going to discuss yeah. a bit later on. Yeah, so, yeah, fantastic. I enjoyed it. You know, guys, I, would, I haven't seen this, and I will, I really want to see it based on not just your opinions, but a lot of people said afterwards the same sort of stuff. I wondered beforehand, being a bit cynical, okay, <laughs> well, a, a Fright Fest documentary at Fright Fest, mm. it, 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 it's got to be biased. It's got to be, even even if the director isn't biased, maybe, you know, the Fright Fest organisers will tell him, well, you have to cut that out, we have to cut that out. But mm. what I've heard since is, nope, it's warts and all. Yeah. It, 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 as you say, it dishes the dirt. And good on, good on Fright Fest for being, not shying away from that and going, yeah, you know, this is, this is, us being yeah. honest. Yeah. You know, and so I want to see it based on that, that it's a non-bias Watson all approach. And the impression of the fans, just the last thing I want to say on this, um, the, the impression of the fans is very honest as well because they said, well, it was better when the Empire was how it was before, where it was one giant screening room. If if, you know, if it's happy you know, to be it's not their critical fault, and they're no. happy to show that thing good yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and it just shows they've come a long way, they've grown a lot, um, which obviously, when they were saying it was better at the Empire, it's probably because it was, you know, that bit smaller. But It no. had a better atmosphere. Yeah. And there's so much good, like... I'm going to say gossip, but what I mean is one of juicy <laughs> stories over the years, like the stuff that happened with Serbian film, mm-hmm. and um, that, I remember when they did R.I.P.D., oh, there was a guy jacking off in the audience, apparently. I don't know if that comes up in the documentary. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But um, that was a big, 
are you fucking kidding me moment. Yeah. Um, and all that Apparently kind of... Apparently it was a couple mutual masturbation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And you just go, what the fuck? What you know, and just, like, you, know, you know, I think, uh, not we don't care, um, it was all presented <laughs> from one year and he got fucking booed, like, properly. Oh, no. And that kind of, you know, when people talk about the community, because they like to use, you know, the Fright Fest community, I feel like this is a community film. This is not, mm. uh, not a propaganda film, like, go Fright Fest, but a sort of, it's this a is, like there's a little, as you said, there might be a little bit of that, but I like the idea that it's, it's, it is that everything can, you get to know all the stumbling yeah. times they stumbled as well as all the times they did good. Yeah, they show some of their, you know, fuck-ups in the past on there and they're very honest about it. And, and Paul's different were. haircuts that he's had over the years as yeah, well. Yeah, a lot, a <laughs> Quite lot funny. of uh, different hair of Paul McAvoy. And a lot of um, pitch, pictures of when they first kind of met each other, which is really nice mm-hmm. insight and... You know, because they've been doing this for nearly 20 years now. Next year's the 20th anniversary. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of history there. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was funny in parts and heartwarming in other parts. Yeah. Um, I also, because I had a very busy day for all the days, um, I saw a film called Piercing. It was directed mm-hmm. by Nicholas Pesky, who did Eyes of My Mother. Um, so it stars Christopher Abbott, who's most recently been It Comes at Night, and Mia Wyckowska, or however the fuck you say her name, from Alice in Wonderland and various <laughs> oh, other yeah. films. Um, I didn't like this one as much as I thought I was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, it should have been right up my alley, because it's by the writer of Audition. It's got a very similar story to Audition, so it's very slow burn. It's basically about this guy who's married, who's got a kid, goes to a hotel, because his plan is he's going to kill a prostitute, you know, as you do, you know, last kind of hurrah before settling down to married life properly. Um, doesn't go according to plan, as these things never do. Um, there are a lot of... In the score, there's a lot of uh, songs taken from Jally, which should have worked for me a lot. I was a little bit bored by it, I've got to be honest, and the songs didn't really work. But, I mean, it's okay. As I said, it's got quite a similar story to Audition. and But, yeah, I didn't think it was as good as Eyes of My Mother. And finally, um, last thing on, you know, literally again, middle of the night, similar to uh, Mega Time Squad, I saw Crystal Eyes, which is an Argentinian Neo Jallo. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I didn't like this really at all. Um, Alan Jones, who's meant to be a Jallo expert, um, he said that this film is very, very similar to Argento. Bollocks is not similar to Argento at all. You need to stop punishing yourself, man. You need to stop seeing Jallo's <laughs> recommended by Alan no. Jones. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was. It's a very lazy comparison that people use. So, like anything that's a bit weird, it's oh, it's like David Lynch. Yeah. Or anything where you got split screen in it, it's kind of psychosexual thriller. Oh, it's like De Palma. And yeah, anything like Jallo esque, immediately people go, oh, it's like Argento. It's not quite as straightforward as that, unfortunately. And I say this as a Jallo expert myself. Um, one film he did say it was very similar to is a film called Nothing Underneath, which is very, very similar to this. So it, the, the film itself, it's very 80s feeling. It's very mid-80s kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Big hair, big sort of you know eye makeup and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, the film sucked big time. And I should have known better, really. I blame myself. <laughs> um, look, film looked really cheap. Um, the deaths weren't that interesting the film didn't have a story at all apart from the deaths I had no idea what was going on Um, the score was playing for like 95% of the film so I didn't really you know it was by about two thirds away into the film I was having no fun with it whatsoever I just wanted it to stop 
Um, yeah, the twist was kind of sort of predictable. And what didn't help is I had two people sat next to me who were talking throughout most of the film who I wanted to punch. Oh, that's really annoying. So, yeah. Didn't that. really have fun with that one. Um, but so, yeah, doesn't come recommended from me. Unfortunately, my search for a good Jallo post-2005 will have to keep going on. Continue. <laughs> I have had that recommended to me, Crystallize, so I will give that a watch at some point. Okay. And it might be more up my street than yours, so we have very differing tastes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was cheaply made because it's an independent and it was made on a low budget. So I should imagine it does look cheap. <laughs> it looks very cheap. Okay. But uh, on to a film that I'm very interested in, which is Bought On. I mean, I'll keep, I'll keep Bought short and sweet because there's, I mean, as you might imagine, there's not too much to it. Um, it's... Bill Mosley's in it, which we were both excited Bill Mosley's in it. Um I, okay, well, let me just begin by saying, so this was like the closing film, or the, the last film of the night that I saw, like the midnight movie. Um, because I was very knackered and grumpy the night before, I, I probably aren't, I'm not going to enjoy this. Mm. But, what I would say is, in terms of, we do, I mentioned before about the community, when you are with the right audience, mm. it can completely change it. And this audience that I was with were 100% behind this movie from start to finish. Right. The only way I described it, I could describe it, is they were very sort of like, almost like geek lads. <laughs> so these are these are blokes who wanted to see a film about a massive killer pig, <laughs> starring Bill Mosley, and a bunch of other people from like Mad Max and Wolf Creek. And um, because the audience were behind it, you know, they, they laughed at the right times, you know, the kind of, um, the audience were boorish. <laughs> Straight enough. Uh, I, I, Charging I, in there. I, I wish I, I wish I thought that joke properly. Um, yeah, um, it was yeah good audience. Um, the film is in that style of Razorback, the exploitation sort of killer balls. It's not original, um, but that's completely irrelevant. Um, you've got uh, who, who's the main guy in um, Wolf Creek? Oh, uh, John Jarrett. He's in it. Um, he's brilliant in it. Um, Bill Mosley. Unfortunately, they don't use him enough. It's a bit like the Udo Kier mm. in, in Puppet Master. I mean, I guess you've only got a certain amount of money. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, it's exciting. it's not so much that he's not in it enough, it's they don't do enough with him. He plays a very straightforward um, dad, just <laughs> looking out for his kids. Aww. Whereas with Bill Mosley, you kind of, I'm used to him being in these theatrical, over-the-top roles of like Texas Chains Massacre 2 and the Rob Zombie movies. Yeah. So... Maybe I'm pigeonholing him and saying that because you're not batshit crazy, that's crap. But um, <laughs> but um, John Jarrett was amazing in it. He was, I mean, the, we talk about Megatone, you know I compared Australia, New Zealand and yeah. Britain and America. Mm-hmm. The Australian humour is much more sort of crass, mm. whereas New Zealand humour is dry, Australian humour is quite crass. But <laughs> it works really well in this film, so everyone's calling each other... You know, you know, I can't uh, and tell each other to fuck off, and you know, and you know, bollocks to that, and and you know, because that's very almost Cockney. Again, the audience, the audience liked it. The audience got really into it, and a lot, a a huge part of the film is John Jarrett's character and his mate drinking beer in the middle of nowhere, and they're just like, "Is that is that fucking bore?" And it was just, it was very funny responses. That kind of yeah, very crass and blunt. uh, who's the uh, Greg? Uh, the wrestler yeah, so guy who's in it. I've heard that. Yeah, the best performance in this is by Nathan Jones, the Colossus Nathan of Bogger Road himself. 
Um, there's a great and, and maybe maybe unintentional thing for me this year is mountain men, men who are huge. Um, maybe I need to have a conversation with myself because that's why I seem to be noticing a lot in, in movies. I'm like, that guy's huge. He's so buff. They're all huge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he is clear. He is the best part of the film. So he's kind of like uh, the uncle that saves the day kind of thing. They're, they're basically, this family's going out into the middle of nowhere uh, to visit their uncle. And um, and there's a massive boar that attacks him. But um, this guy... Their uncle's like seven foot tall. Yeah, he's seven foot tall. He's buff. massive. Um, as you say, Greg, he's a former wrestler. And there's a bit where he's playing with the kids in the uh, in the lake and he's like doing wrestling moves on them. He's like chokeslamming them and, and pile driving and all this other yeah. stuff. And I was just like, wow, because I forgot he's It a is Australia, to be fair. I forgot, yeah, sure and it's Australia. So, you know, it's, there's no health and safety. Um, <laughs> and there's a, cla- there's a really funny bit in it where he's... He's he's driving this truck on his own and he plays um, uh, Vanilla Rice. <laughs> and um, he sings along with it. Now, I imagine if you watch that on your own, it'll be a little bit funny. But watching it with the community, watching it with the audience, everyone fucking loved it. <laughs> and um, sometimes they'll put a joke like that in a film and it's a bit of a lazy joke. Mm. Like, oh, here's a tough man doing something silly. But he really goes for it. Like, you can tell he, he enjoys the song. His facial expressions, and he's dancing along, and he's lip-syncing it perfectly. And you can tell that he... I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to put that in, because he was 110% loving it. Um, I would say, it's. I mean, this film's not going to win any Oscars. Yeah. You know, there's CGI on it, that's awful. The premise is, is basic, and there's a lot of swearing. Um, but, fuck me, man, this film was... This, this day was my fun day, so I probably master and ball. Um, and I just want to give honourable mention to Paul, you know. Yeah. Watch it with, like watch it with a group of mates and a few movie. beers. Yeah, monster movie. Yeah, great, that sounds awesome. The guy who did the intro for that was uh, Ricky Guarnaccio, who was the <laughs> first vi- victim yeah. in the film, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, famed from Geordie Shaw. Um, and yeah I think like when he spoke of his experiences he didn't quite know what he was letting himself in for so it does sound like a lot of fun and I'm glad it was the film Boar B-O-A-R mm-hmm. instead of B-O-R-E boom nice boom you see you see and on that on note that, <laughs> over to Saturday um, which is where we'll conclude this episode because we are going to do this in two parts because we have such a lot of amazing films to talk about mm. so on Saturday today um i watched which was uh something that i didn't really know anything about which was a fantastic surprise for me i watched what keeps you alive which is a lesbian thriller horror um with a newlywed lesbian couple who go away again to a remote forest cabin fancy that yeah <laughs> imagine that tom um to spend some time together and then, unfortunately, one of them turns out to be a complete emotionless sociopath and serial killer who plans to hunt down uh, the new wife and brutally torture her. Um, and it's this whole film is just about how all of that plays out. It's intense, it's amazing, it's very psychologically uh, tense and... Yeah, it's fantastic, and it's directed by Colin Minihan, and his um, girlfriend or partner or, or wife, I'm not sure actually, but partner, 
um, stars in this film as she plays Jules, which is the kind of victim wife, not the psychopath. And she's called Brittany Allen. She was uh, starred in It Stains the Sand Red and she was also in Jigsaw, so you probably recognise her from those. And um, the acting in this film was outstanding from both um, parts of the lesbian couple. And yeah, I just thought it, it was amazing. I would highly recommend this. It did keep me on the edge of my seat all the way through and fantastic throughout. Yes, I saw this as well. And uh, yeah, so it's the director of, you know, as you said, It Stains the Sands Red and Grave Encounters. Mm-hmm. Uh, mentioned before, not a fan of It Stains the Sands Red. I know Rhea is a fan. I liked it, yeah. I thought she was fantastic in it as well. Yeah. This is most definitely, to me, from a technical standpoint, a massive step up from that. Um, so from the films that I've seen from a director, this was definitely the most accomplished in terms of, like, you know, the way that uh, the shots put together for framing perspective from use of lighting things like that because you know it's pretty much two people in the middle of the woods um and yeah it worked really well um i thought the use of the woods was much better than in something like the ranger where yeah it was in the woods but really it you didn't really get full-on proper atmosphere of the woods mm-hmm. um the score was interesting so the score was actually done by Brittany allen herself oh, wow. and i thought it worked really well so she mentioned that in one of the the intro that i saw um i enjoyed the film i you say this is more of like a thriller than a straight up horror film and i thought it worked quite well there were a couple of pretty gaping plot holes though so i know earlier i did say that if you're watching a film you know (laughs) it's not really logical you have to turn the logical part of your brain off but unfortunately in a film like this where it is more grounded in the real world, unfortunately, you what tends to happen is people put themselves in a situation, well, what would I do in this situation? There's a couple of instances where people make choices that in real life they would probably never make in a million years, more just for dramatic effect, shall we say. Yeah. Which is fair enough sometimes. Yeah, but I, I say overall I enjoyed it. Um, it's not my favourite film of the day itself, but I, you know, I did enjoy it very much. I would recommend it to people. Um, it's kind of similar to something like uh, The Stepfather, but for a, like a lesbian version of that kind of. Because if you've seen The Stepfather, it's that sort of overall story as to why things happen in the movie. Excellent. Um, so your pick of the day, Greg, is yes. one that absolutely blew the roof off, I've heard. It was one of the most popular films of the whole festival. I've heard endless good reviews of this. I think mainly because it came as such a huge surprise. Yeah, so um, this is a Japanese film. It's called One Cut of the Dead. And I would say of all the films that I saw, this was the most Fright Fest experience that I had. It was awesome. So the experience of watching the movie made the movie for me totally. So what it is, it's a zombie film. However, it's a zombie film with slight difference. So what you get at the start, and this is kind of where the one cut of the dead title comes from, is you get a 35-minute single take. And it is an actual legit single take. So it's not like Birdman where it looks like one take, but they Mm -hmm. splice it together really cleverly. Um, So it is one take, and it's a zombie film. And then the second half of the film is more the, okay, so this is kind of how they got together to film the single take. 
And then the third part of the film is kind of what happened while they were doing the single take. So things that happened that maybe you weren't aware of at the time. And it's so clever. It's so ridiculously clever. And it's so much fun. That's one thing I say about it. So yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, I had a really great time watching it. But I think it's weird because obviously if you watch it and you don't know what to expect and you're watching this one cut and I'm used to watching, I'm going to sound like such a fucking snob now. I've seen like films like Russian arc and I've seen Victoria, which are feature length films that have been done entirely in one take. And honestly, just the amount of planning and the amount of kind of technical prowess you need to have to make a film like that even if you don't have, like in Victoria, for example, where characters get in and out of cars and they somehow manage to do that in a single take, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. Even if it's just on a building mm-hmm. and stuff like that and you've got sort of shots going in and out of focus, the lighting isn't quite right and the effects are a bit shit, but it actually works in context of the film. So it's actually really meta because it's like a, it's a film within a film, so to speak. Yeah. Um, did it make you, when you finished watching it, did it make you want to go back and watch yes, the first part again? Yes, absolutely. Very 100%. Clever. Very clever. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So overall, as I said, it's so much fun. Of all the films that I definitely saw on the Saturday, I would probably recommend, well, I would absolutely recommend this one the most mm. it's not a horror film per se that's one thing i would say about it i would say it's more like a comedy is really it, is it more like a love letter to making zombie films yes yeah. yeah absolutely yeah so you could sort of watch this and if you i don't know have made i don't know oh zombie <laughs> for example mm. or any other sort of similar sort of low budget or um uh, I don't know, Ebola Outbreak or I don't know, any kind of really shit low budget zombie films and yeah you can do get a real feel for it and the characters are all really likeable it's just a lot of fun I've seen this compared to Shaun of the Dead it's not really like Shaun of the Dead but it does have that same sense of fun mm-hmm. about it I can imagine it goes well because Pride Fest is, is a sort of fan festival rather mm-hmm. than a film festival these are people who are fans of the genre so I imagine this plays well because it's films about films or films about filmmaking. Mm-hmm. If you are a bit of a film geek, you're kind of in on the joke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you're a little bit more into the subject matter anyway. Um, it being a zombie film as well or a, a film about zombie. And fil- I like films within films. Mm. That, that always ticks my box. So. I like that too, yeah. It sounds really great. Can't wait to see this. And Tom, you saw a very different one, the Tokoloshi. Totally different. Um... Uh, I'm not going to pretend for a second that I can pronounce this properly, guys. So I'm going to call it the to- Tokoloshki. <laughs> <laughs> With a question mark on the end. Tokoloshki. Um, I'm quite a big fan of horror films where they take, and this is going to sound pretty obvious, uh, pre-existing sort of myths and then and then update them. So I saw The Golem, for example, on the, on the final day as well. Because I like this and, and these old, old myths that um, local, and this is the South African one, Toroski is basically the South African equivalent of the boogeyman. He's going to take your kids, or you tell the kids, if you misbehave, Tokoroski's going to get you. <laughs> and over the years, it kind of differs, but in a nutshell, um, it's it's kind of like a sort of sexual predator demon. Ooh. So he's, you know... Like folklore, yeah. Yeah, it's very, yeah I, I'm a big fan of that folklore that's being turned into a horror movie. But you've got to be careful because something like Krampus was kind of very tongue-in-cheek mm. and made it a comedy. This plays it completely straight. Um, 
So in, in a nutshell, this, uh, the story is basically a woman gets a job um, as a cleaning lady oh, um, <laughs> in, in a hospital in South Africa um, and she has to deal with several problems. Uh, one is she's doing, doing the job because she wants to uh, get... She's moved to the city from a village where it was very abusive and she's trying to save up money to get her sister out of that village as well. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, her employer is himself a sexual predator and a very horrible person. Mm. While she's working there and having to deal with these things, she comes across a child, because it's a hospital, um, who is plagued by a demon, mm-hmm. the Toroshki. Um, is the child imagining it? Is it a metaphor for, you know, something sexual predators generally? Um, what was interesting is they had the filmmakers beforehand and they said... You know, it's interesting how, you know, this Fright Fest, one of the big things they're saying is about the female directors. These are not female directors. But they said what's interesting is their film has been interpreted as having a feminist message, even though they never intended that to be the case when they made it. Um, they said it, it's just South Africa's going through a period or where, you know, like, you know, say, say, take like the Weinstein scandal <laughs> over here. Things are coming out of the woodwork. In Hollywood and in South Africa, things are coming out yeah. of woodwork. In Jacob Zuma is a bit dodgy. We, we know, market. like all the you know like, the whole thing with charity workers and a lot of, they discovered that in Oxfam and stuff. A lot of these charity workers in Africa are, are sex pests and a lot in orphanages and things with the Catholic Church in right. South Africa. This is all kicking off that there is, you know, a, a massive movement that they they admit they didn't intend to make a feminist film, but they said it's, it's almost as if they tapped into a zeitgeist. Sorry to be, use a pretentious word. Ah. They tap, tap into a zeitgeist in, in South Africa, which is an anger against this kind of normalisation mm. of women just being meat. And it's norm- and, and, and so this woman is, is fighting against this. The child, they don't fully... They, they mention the sexual stuff, but they don't, they don't go all the way. You know, you don't feel awkward about this child being a demon, being attacked mm. by this demon. Um, it's... Potentially not my favorite film of the festival, but it's in my top two favorite films of the festival. Wow! Um, it's proper, proper dark. Um, spoiler alert: that it is supernatural. You know, I said you're not sure whether it's in yeah. their head or not. It is supernatural, but for the longest time, you're not 100 percent sure what's going on. They they do reveal the monster, bum bum bum, towards the end. But for the most part, it's it's the anticipation. It's what's moving in the shadows. Um, the, the, the woman, she, she confronts her own sort of demons as a work. She has to go back to the village where her sister lives and deal with, you know, village life and I guess the normali- normalisation of sexual and domestic abuse mm. that the film is trying to address. So a, a film that didn't need to be as good as it was. Like I said, something like Krampus just went, well, we'll take the myth and we'll have fun with it. And uh, the golem, as I'll probably discuss later, doesn't quite do a good job with the myth. Mm-hmm. Um, this takes the myth and really the folklore rather sorry and and puts it in a very serious modern context mm-hmm. uh, absolutely marvellous film you know fantastic yeah you've sold me on that one so I definitely recommend this film we did see a few more films on Saturday that again we'll give honourable mentions to so my honourable mention goes to Chuck Steele Night of the Trampires <laughs> which is uh, definitely one to lighten your evening. Um, it is an animated stop-motion film which took five years to make, oh directed by Michael Moore, who also does the voice of Chuck Steele. Not the Michael Moore. 
Michael Mort. Oh, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's an animated action comedy. It's kind of reminds me of Chuck Norris meets Johnny Bravo, but way cooler. <laughs> um, it's got voice the voices of Paul Whitehouse and Jennifer Saunders in it. Oh wow! Like I said, it took five years to make, so the level of detail and humour in this is just incredible. Um, Chuck Steele is is a cop and he's very over the top and I love the 80s vibe and the trampires are basically a mutated hybrid of vampires and tramps as in, <laughs> well, there you as go. In that's exactly what it says on the team yeah. it is and yeah it's really funny it's just like joke after joke and honestly cannot comprehend how much they've spent on this for an independent film and how much work has gone into this is absolutely incredible so even all the sets are just amazing like so kind of neon 80s and just brilliant so yeah i would recommend this um it's not i could probably watch this again and again to be honest because it is you would probably notice more in it each time you watch it um, it's nothing that you would take too seriously, um, but yeah, a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it. It was another one that surprised me because I had no idea what this was going to be about. Mm-hmm. Having seen all of the masks and the cutouts that were promoting it in the lobby of Fright Fest, you kind of it does uh, pique your interest. And uh, I, there are a lot of like mega fans of this film there actually wearing the masks getting the director's autograph on related um, promotional things and masks and cutouts. And I believe by the end of the festival, all of the cardboard cutouts of the characters that are in the lobby had all been stolen by fans. <laughs> so none of them were left. So um, they, I know that uh, Fryfest has been supporting these guys for a while because mm. I remember seeing the first Chuck Steele way back in 2010 and that was just a short. It was a fifty-minute yeah. short. I think it was called "Raging Balls of Raging Balls of Steel," <laughs> and it was basically it was a die-hard ah. sort of piss take, um, and it worked. It worked tremendously well. Yeah, and it went down very well with the audience. And of course, it, even though it wasn't horror or even mm-hmm. fantasy, mm-hmm. it was action movie piss take. People <laughs> loved it, and and that was a fright fest, like you know, exclusive. So the fact that the audience is still there and fright mm-hmm. fest is still behind it. And and this this you know vampires and traps you can't go wrong with that <laughs> and I'm sure the audience loved it yeah they did they got an excellent reception and cool. Greg you saw Upgrade which I'm dying to see yeah so um so yes this is directed by Lee Winnell who obviously is writer actor so he's uh, wrote and was in Saw he wrote and he's been in all four Insidious films he even directed Insidious 3 mm-hmm. which is maybe not the best way to start your career but oh well um, this is <laughs> I've not seen Insidious Everybody 3 but, <laughs> well exactly um, so uh, this stars Logan Marshall Green aka the poor man's Tom Hardy who is in <laughs> Prometheus and The Invitation where in fantasy is actually really good in The Invitation oh, I love The Invitation yeah um, so yeah Upgrade it is a sci-fi action film it is about a man it's set in the near future everything is sort of voice activated so like cars or your household objects are voice activated and basically he his car crashes his wife gets murdered by sort of home like sort of criminals 
and he gets paralyzed and then essentially he gets this uh, chip put in his spine which is called stem which basically what that does is it talks to him and it basically gives him sort of you know his legs back again and it also gives him the power to fight people in a really really awesome way um so this has been compared to robocop which is a slightly lazy but sort of sort of quite apt comparison it's a very similar Mm -hmm. story very similar story to death wish as well and uh yeah i really enjoyed this this was a lot of fun uh the fight scenes are really good which is obviously really important for an action film and the sort of there's a twist in it that's kind of obvious if you've seen any kind of these ai type films but i won't spoil it um yeah it's really really good as uh, Blumhouse again so as another sort of winner for Blumhouse mm-hmm. I'm sure this will be really successful um, so there was that but the film I kind of wanted to talk about a bit more because Tom has seen this as well is a film called The Laplace's Demon yeah which is an Italian sort of philosophical science fiction film I guess is the best way to talk it so it's a bunch of people in a room stuff happens um, <laughs> essentially that's what it is it's people yeah. Yeah, really, that's the best way to describe it, really. Um, it's got a very 50s vibe. Um, so this this yeah. has been compared to like sort of old Mario Bava, uh, sort of very old black and white horror films like The Haunting or something by like William Castle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of like this one, though. Well, well, you know what? I almost didn't see this. Um, because, and, and what was the selling point for me was the same thing that made me almost not see this. I was kind of like, it, are you going to be able to do that William Castle, 1950s, black and white, Maribel? Are you going to be able to do that? And I saw the trailer, and the trailer didn't look good, to be honest, but there was something about it that I kind of liked that, that aesthetic, that 1950s, as you say, philosophical mm. <laughs> horror, which can sometimes be ridiculously pretentious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the idea of the film, so Laplace, for anyone who doesn't know, is his thesis was that you could predict anyone's behaviour, anyone's movements, essentially. Yeah, he said, if you knew if you knew the place of every atom in the universe, you could predict everything. Because you can, this will affect that, that will affect that. So... That's quite Donnie Darko, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and basically, this this is the classic example of people accepting an invitation that they shouldn't do. So, <laughs> I think, from what I recall, the film starts with them on a boat heading towards this island. And it's clearly a backlit yeah. as well. It's clearly it's, not a real boat. <laughs> But again, that that looks 1950s. I mean, the the, the only downside, the, the only real downside to me for this film is it felt a bit like a film student's film. Mm. But, you know, you've made you're like say I'm a big fan of Mario Barber. I'm going to make a film mm. for my thesis. That's that, and it's like so it felt more like a sort of fan fan made film mm. than a film film. Um, so yeah, they go to this island. Because they've accepted an Im- a bunch of scientists have accepted an invitation from a scientist they've never met, <laughs> um, and they're not hundred percent sure why they're going there, and um, and basically they they all think that they're all looking into this idea of being able to come up with a scientific theory that is the Lovelace demon, mm-hmm. and then they get there and the guy basically it's a, it's a massive death trap. So <laughs> <laughs> they're there and he's like you know you, you're all going to die. I can predict every single one of your moves. He has this awesome, and this was the selling point for me, this kind of like doll's house with mm-hmm. chess piece pawns in it. Mm-hmm. And it's all moves by clockwork. Wow. And basically, whenever they move, this thing, the pieces in the house move with them. So wow. the point is, the, the person who runs the mansion is basically saying to them, I know exactly what you're going to do. You And I'm going to tell you when you're going to die. <laughs> 
And no matter what you try and do... You can't escape it. You can't escape it because yeah. I know what your next move's going to be. I know where you're going to go. I know how you're going to try and outthink me. Oh, um, yeah. So it's that... if it's You either go with the cheese, as it were. You either go with the cheesiness or you don't. Okay. Um, mm. the, big selling, the other big selling point, they get chased by a coffin. Wow. When people die in this film... They, it's so cool. So the, the, the doll's house kind of, just before they die, it rings like a, a clock, mm. you know. And when that happens, a coffin gets released yeah. that runs around the, like the mansion and then tracks it eats people. And eats people. Yeah. It opens up, people fall in it, it closes and then takes them off. Amazing. And you're watching this and you're like, what the fuck am I watching? Are they taking this seriously? And But that is something you would have in the 50s. You would not have that in a horror film now because... Everyone with everyone in that board meeting would go, that's fucking stupid, don't do that. But because this is a, a going in that old school style, they're like, we'll do it. Need to see. I would recommend it, even though I don't think it was perfect. i got to be honest, <laughs> again, it was a long day. I, I, it was very, very ponderous. Lots of people talking about philosophical things for about 30 minutes. So yeah. It's only when the coffin turned up that I'm like, Yes. I love this now. Oh, great. Oh, it's all to me. I need to see this now. So, so yeah, I would kind of recommend it. Yeah. Um, so, we're going to leave that at this point, And we're actually going to take a break. And we're going to come back with a second episode, which you will really want to check out, which is part two of Fright Fest 2018. And we will have an additional special guest reviewing films with us in the next episode. And we'll also be covering some very divisive and headlining movies. I'm sure you will have heard about, which uh, closes the film festival. And lots more amazing films that you need to check out. So come back and join us on that for part two. And then at the end of the second episode, we'll also be... Um, just summarising our favourites, least favourite films and the films that we want to watch that we haven't mentioned or haven't seen in this um, best moments and worst moments um, which I think is what we're, we're all here for to hear the summary as well so come back and join us on that I have been reoffend. I'm available on social media um, Instagram and Twitter at re underscore fend and on Facebook and we have been the Lament Configuration um, myself and Greg Knox who are on Twitter as Lament Horror um, we're on Facebook as the Lament Configuration Podcast, the horror podcast, where we've reviewed the 72 video nasties. And we've also been joined today by the fantastic Tom Dennett Cook. Yo! Yo! <laughs> so, yeah, join us uh, for the next episode where we will be, as Tom put it before, on it like pigeons on breadcrumbs. Although for the oh. horror angle of this show, it might be more apt to say on it like crows on dead meat. Oh, nice. Join us. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye for now. Bye, everyone.